Hey everybody, welcome to the Vet Tech Tap Room. This is our spin-off series from the Vet Tech Cafe. These episodes are live and uncut, discussing hot topics in our field, or talking about previous episodes amongst ourselves, and always highlight something positive happening in our profession. These episodes will be published as regular podcast episodes and will also be available on our YouTube channel as well. So get yourself a beer or a potato water and find us live on Instagram and join the discussion. Now if you'll excuse us, those are our beers the bartender is pouring. the vet tech tap room where, where your favorite beer is always on draft um, <laughs> dave i know i have you're doing whole 30 so i know you're not drinking anything but i yeah. do have it's a uh, it's early for us uh here on the west coast i do have a um, a double coffee bourbon barrel aged stout that i'm oh, going to be working on for this that episode sound, that sounds delicious i mean mm-hmm. aside from your 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 flavor choices for coffee most of your beer choices i i am mostly on board with until you pull out the pumpkin other this than that is, I'm, I'm all on board yeah this is from uh from bottle logic here in anaheim where for those that don't know where anaheim is is where either disneyland you may be familiar with or where the uh anaheim angels play or the ducks right. but um it's close by to me and their their barrel program is just out of this world so i, I love double... the, the i love it when they age them in those those yeah. bourbon barrels because it mm-hmm. gives it like that that whiskey or bourbon taste yeah. to it. Yeah. Ugh, just love those. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a double coffee. I figured that's a good way to start today today. So that count that counts as breakfast, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so how's things going out there? Things are going great. Uh, other than the fact that it's really cold. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned, we're, we're doing the whole 30 <clears> again. So, uh, uh, I'm sure the, the women that listen will be upset to know that it's been less than a week and I've already lost like eight pounds. Um, because that's just what we, we, as guys do, we, we drop weight and we just focus on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but things are going good. How, how are you doing out there? Good, good. It's actually been cold and kind of rainy the last few days, oh, wow. uh, cold for here. Um, you know, yeah. that, that comes with an asterisk. I think yesterday the high was like 55 or 58 or something, which that's, I will gladly take. Chilly. Yeah, it's, it's good enough here. And, and actually had to turn on the heat for a couple minutes this morning to get some of the chill out of the air in the apartment. <laughs> so I'll, I'll take it. I, I love it. So um otherwise yeah um just just trucking along had a couple days off here it's been really nice and yeah good good stuff good stuff yeah yeah so um you know i know when when this airs it's obviously the holiday season so you know as as just you and i on a tap room i think we should tell everybody happy holidays and happy holidays hope everybody because we're gonna upload this probably in a week so the in a week so like the 19th 19th? yeah something something like that So, um, Christmas will be right away from Christmas. Yeah. Um, new year's, you know, right in, right behind the tails of that. So, um, caffeinators, if you guys are working the holidays, um, you know, kudos to you, kudos to you. Best of luck getting through your shifts. I'll be on the phones myself. Um, I think I'm all, I think I'm working all of them except new year's Eve. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, yeah. So good luck, everybody. As we as we get older, <laughs> New Year's Eve is not as big of a deal as it used to be. <laughs> uh, it's still one of my favorites. It's one of my favorites. I love uh, I love the idea of like a fresh start, but also yeah. n- New Year's Day. I literally spend all day watching college football, and <laughs> that's like one day that I want to be off. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good for so you. That, that's one I usually request. <laughs> Molly's usually in bed by like nine o'clock, but. <laughs> 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 we we usually fall asleep uh for a little while and then uh and then you know maybe wake up at like 11:30. Yeah. They yeah. they often say uh, we saw this the other day um if you see anyone over 40 outside out and about after 9 o'clock, guaranteed they took a nap that day. <laughs> <laughs> True story. True story. Um you know we we were talking about doing this tap room um what right after we recorded our episode with Harold, which if you yeah. haven't listened to that episode yet, um, is our most recent episode last week. Um, check it out. Uh, really great episode. And we got into a discussion um, after we stopped after recording. We were, after we done. Yeah. yeah. And, and you and I, I think, both are kicking ourselves because we neither we both thought it, but neither of us actually said out loud, like, hey, Harold, stop for a minute. Let us start recording this yeah. again. Because uh, it would have been an, another, like, just additional awesome 20 minute conversation yeah. to, to record. But what came out of that 
was he mentioned something to us where, where we asked the question towards the end of the episode, you know, is there anything else you want to get out to the listeners or, or what have you? And he brought up this American Association of Critical Care Nurses Standards of Healthy Work Environments. And we'll put a link this in is the... He, this is human nurses. This is human nursing, we correct. Mention, yeah. Um, and so if you, if it's put out by the American Association of Critical Care Nurses, again, on the human side, um, we'll put the link in the show notes, yeah. but if you, if you lose it or you're listening and you just want to look at it, um, if you just Google, um, emergency, um, AACN, which is the American Association of Critical Care Nurses, Healthy Work Environments. It's the first website that'll come up. Yep. And there are these six standards. And and Harold kind of walked us through all six and described all six. And then he was headed to um, another, you know, profession summit. I don't know what else to call it this week. Yeah. And he was going to bring up this idea of how we could translate it to veterinary medicine. And it was a fascinating fascinating discussion but then you and, and I, I don't kind think of we looked... even need I don't think we even need to translate that I think it's all it's always it's all transferable all this stuff yeah. is stuff that we know that we need yeah. yeah absolutely and then so you and I looked at that kind of later in the day after that discussion and there are these six standards of healthy work environments and I think we'll kind of go through all six of them here and hit some of the highlights but I think if you guys listen to it cuz I can certainly relate all six of these things are major major problems in veterinary lacking, hospitals all lacking in the, in the across the yeah. country and, and probably around the world let's be real oh yeah yeah that's um real. yeah so uh, anyway start us off dave pick one and we'll go so from there. skilled communication that that's yeah. the first one um being able to communicate and and oftentimes that's i mean that's something that we we are not great at because i mean think about what most people say, why do we get into the into veterinary professions? Because we don't want to deal with people. And a lot right. of that is because we're not really good communicators. And you and I have, have talked a lot about the fact that there are, uh, I don't know if the number is 50%, maybe it's even more, uh, of us are introverts, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're not we're not comfortable talking to people. Um, me personally, I'm, I'm an introvert until I have to turn it on and talk to people. So I, I kind of have that that way that I can get out of my introvert zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, we're not, we're not great at communicating. And um, one of the, one of the things that we talked about with Rebecca Rose was uh, working on your soft skills. Your soft skills are those things that are, are communication, uh, being able to communicate with each other, with your clients uh, and, and just having good phone etiquette, um, good body posture, all those things that allow us to uh you know, in the, in this profession, there's so much that we don't know, right? Because our pets right. can't tell us what's wrong. Um, with our coworkers and with our clients, we should be able to communicate a lot better than than the yeah. pets can with us. Yeah. Uh, so I I think that's that's something that's really important to have. All of these are really important to have, but but skill communication is one that I see is as lacking um, throughout the profession. Um, whether it's uh, you know pettiness, whether it's uh, you know, shaming, whether it's bullying, all that right. stuff. Uh, without that communication, like, I mean, what's the point? You're not, right. not going to get anything done. Right. And, um, you know, look, looking at this here, so when, when we click on skill communication, there are five critical elements for organizations and eight for individuals. And when I think about communication specifically, I feel like that's something that's only getting worse. And I, I worry that mm-hmm. in this digital age, when nobody nobody talks on the phone anymore like how many yep. of those memes do you see that are just like if you want to get in touch with me don't call me i won't answer i won't listen to your voicemail just send me a text <laughs> nobody knows how to talk on the phone anymore right. or have that face to face interaction and i feel like that's only getting worse and i i had mentioned this to Harold um you know Molly who's emergency veterinarian um you know she brought this up to me a long time ago that it doesn't matter how good of a veterinarian you are. If you cannot effectively communicate to an owner why you want to run these tests or why you're doing the treatments that you're doing, who's going to sign that estimate? Like right, exactly. you have to be able to, to effectively communicate. And when I think back in, in some of the clinics that I've worked in, there were, there was, there were leaders that were strong communicators and there was leadership that weren't. And, I mean, I, I feel like, and I think a lot of these, all six of these kind of, as we go through there, there will be some overlap or some kind of feeding into each other. But yeah, yeah, I think in so many ways, communication and being able to effectively communicate, 
um, is is huge. Oh, agreed, agreed. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Number two is true collaboration. Another thing that is, I mean, all these are really lacking, I think, mm-hmm. in, in our profession. Um, and I've, I've been thinking about this one a lot. And, and that true collaboration, I, I think this is where there is a difference in the veterinary side and the human side of things. Because I mean, we've talked about this before a lot. The That collaboration is like-minded people, um, people with similar skill sets, similar uh, knowledge bases, being able to communicate with each other. And when you talk about the veterinary profession, we have a lot of veterinary assistants that are doing veterinary technician skills. So I think a lot of times that, I don't want to say re- it's it's not respected, but I think a lot of times the the knowledge that a veterinary assistant has is kind of discounted, even though, you know, somebody that's 10, 15 years in the field as a veterinary assistant probably may have may have more yeah. knowledge or more experience than uh, a technician fresh out of school. So I, I think, you know, that's, that's a really compounded part of this, of this six step, six steps that in the veterinary world is, is really, is really difficult to do. Right. And, and it has to be about also checking your ego at the door that you're oh, not yeah. going to know everything about every patient all of the time. Um, right. Sure. You know, yeah, maybe somebody brings up an idea and and it's not even necessarily off the wall it's just not the not on the right path again right. going back to that first point the effective communication all you have to do is say something to the something to the effect of you know it's a really great point here's why i'm not looking in that direction or like yeah. you know and, and and but still then have that collaborative effort and not just shoot somebody down so that they're not going to say anything in the future like Exactly. You know, that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Right. And everybody, everybody on a team. If you look at in in your individual hospitals, whether you have four employees or four hundred, you are going to have people who are stronger in certain areas than others. Lean into that. Like yeah. allow. You know, if you have those cases and somebody is really dentistry motivated or really ophthalm motivated, allow those people to kind of help drive mm-hmm. some of that. And and. If they get enjoyment out of that, then all the better. Like, so that the yeah. true collaboration one, like again, it, I think it there is you know that kind of crossover with communication as well. But there are so many people, like you're saying, with with veterinary assistants or credential technicians or whoever, who have these unique skills or unique knowledge bases in certain areas. Um, let them be part of the. Yeah, the case management and not just, you know, you make a treatment sheet and then, you know, people fill in numbers and check boxes and, and what have you actually critically think about what's going on with that patient and reevaluate things and touch base with you at a certain point during the day and say, here's where we're at. Here's where I think we could be better. Here's where we may have gone a little too far, whatever it is, mm-hmm. collaborate, stop, and collaborate going- and listen. <laughs> and also also going back to what, what we're talking about with you know um people with different knowledge bases and, and what have you that goes back to communication and it also ties in with leadership which is mm-hmm. going to come up at the end here if mm-hmm. if somebody suggests something that is just like you said completely after all completely wrong what's going to happen to that person they're going to say oh i sound like an idiot there so i'm never going to speak up again mm-hmm. and then you lose that that collaboration because suddenly you have somebody that's not participating at all. And I mean, that goes into, into job satisfaction. It goes into yeah. uh, mental health and eventually somebody leaving yeah. the field because they're, they're feeling not valued. Yeah. Molly and I were just talking about this the other day. Um, you know, she started a new job at a, at a different ER, actually the ER where we met here in, mm-hmm. uh, in town. And um, she's now one of their ER doctors. And, and she was saying, you know, starting a new job, she's a little bit nervous because she goes back to her time as an intern. And yeah. every morning in rounds, you know, it was like, here are five things you screwed up on your shift yesterday or on your overnight. And so like every shift, she carries that weight with her. Like she is every shift. She's not practicing medicine. She's practicing medicine to not screw up and get blasted in rounds the next day. And she's still two years out carrying that with her. And it's just like, that's not true collaboration. <laughs> no, that I mean that that's de- that's defensive working. Like, right. Where you're, like like you said, you're you're doing what you're doing just to not get in trouble. Right. 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 Which, and is, which just, is terrible. No, and and that in a nutshell to me, when I think about 
veterinary technicians training new assistants or new technicians or you know going back to my time in academia and faculty training interns or residents or students or whoever that to me is a huge part of what's broken in this field is it's mm-hmm. not it's not teaching it's no I, I don't know another word for it but it's it's lambasting it's yeah it's yeah yeah it's just and again that's poor communication Yep. That's that's a that's All, a group of people who are really 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 smart, yeah. but are not effective at communicating their knowledge mm-hmm. for other people to learn it. You know, we we started out saying that you know some of these tie into each other. I think they all tie into each other. Like, yeah, we can I think put they do. All of these, we can draw <clears throat> lines between all six of these things yeah. and make it make it all make sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the the next one here is effective decision making, and and. Um, I, I know, you know, uh, Harold and I kind of both laughed about this one when we were talking about it off off record because we both come from academia and and we both could relate to the idea that the people that were making decisions very clearly did not work on the floor. Mm-hmm. And when I think back to my time at at Tufts, um, just after I started there, or actually when I started there, they were going through a major hospital renovation, and and I gave this example to Harold, and he could completely relate that they were. renovating basically the entire teaching hospital and they were putting in a new lobby now when you come in from the parking lot if you're going into the lobby you come into this vestibule right it's new england it pours it snows the whole bit so there's this little vestibule and you continue straight ahead into the lobby or you can go through a door to the right that's like a key card door and it's a back hallway that leads right to the er when they designed that hospital they purposely made the door into that hallway so narrow that a gurney cannot fit through it because they didn't want staff going through that hallway with with a gurney with a gurney so what you had to do then coming in from the parking lot you had to go through that vestibule wheel that patient through the lobby all the way around and so now you're coming straight at the er instead of going to side hallway and taking a right turn and being right there now you have to wheel this seizuring dead bloody whatever animal through the lobby through a waiting room of people right and and the funny thing is is the hallway is more than wide enough they put in a door and then on each side of the door there are windows they just purposely elected to not put in a wide enough door to have us avoid using it and we we went to administration time and time and time and time again till we were blue in the face and like why would you do this we don't want you going through that way why not? Like this, this yeah, is what if they don't want you like, going through that way, why put a door there right, at all? Like, like here we are doing CPR on a gurney, an extra 150 feet with three extra turns. And the funny thing is, is then, so now when you go through the lobby and you're, you're coming straight at the ER, well, that, that intersection of that back hallway and the hallway you actually had to take is a major thoroughfare in the hospital. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how many people I took out with a gurney. When I was yeah. hauling ass trying to get yeah. into ER as fast as I could, because it's a blind corner, you can't yeah. see anybody, and it's just another one of those examples of clearly, the people making the decisions had no clue, yeah, how the hospital was going to run, how it could be most effective, most efficient, what have you, and it's, and that kind of to me goes also back to the true collaboration, like the yeah, stakeholders <laughs> were not involved in the decision making right. process, yeah, and, and that, that's just a. a that's one example, but right, right. clearly states, I mean, that, that kind of goes through all of them. It goes through effective decision-making, goes through collaboration, goes through communication, goes through right. leadership. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and all, all, these all you things. have to say yeah. is like, oh my gosh, we never thought of that. Like, we'll put in a bigger door. That makes way more sense. But instead, yeah. like, no, I, I refuse to be wrong. Or, yeah, or exactly, you know, we exactly. made this decision. Um, it's going to cost X amount of dollars to reframe that door. We're not doing it. You you have to go around like, and instead just saying no, like, and yeah, yeah, building something that doesn't work, right? Doesn't make any sense. Right. Right. Absolutely. All right. Well, next the fourth one's a big one, one. Is, <laughs> is one that we all know. I, I, we could probably spend like thirty seconds on this and just move on. Uh, appropriate staffing. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean that 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 one of the biggest problems in the field right now is is not having appropriate staffing. Um, we talked about the uh, tech to patient ratio being four to one is ideal. Right. Many places that is not the case. Um, you know, five six 
10 no. to 1 no. uh, is, is what we're dealing with. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, the, it, was, it was not uncommon to be like 15 to 1 when I worked yeah. in academia. And again, yeah. you know, that's what they don't realize is inadvertently that's what you're training future veterinarians to, to expect and to be okay yep. with like yep. that, that it, that's, that's the norm. That's the standard. That's however you want to frame it. And that's, that's a load of crap. Yeah. I mean, that, that doesn't happen in every practice. I mean, no. if, if they go to GP, sure. Obviously that, that may not sure. be the case. Yeah. You're not going to um, have that many inpatients, but if they go to a, like a rural ER, it's not right. going to be the case, but I mean, right. Maybe it's just that they were showing them worst case scenario, right? I yeah. mean, but still, yeah, we, we need more staff. We need yeah staff to be paid better. Yeah, um, all all those things. That's going to improve appropriate staffing, uh, and and just and planning. Like yeah. again, goes down to decision making. Yeah, make that decision that hey, we probably we could we could pay somebody twelve dollars an hour, but we're going to get a twelve dollar an hour technician or a twelve dollar right. hour assistant. Right. And then um, the one other point I want to bring in here as well as it was something else Harold mentioned is having appropriate leveled or appropriately trained staff work yeah. on appropriate patients. So, yeah. you know, if you have the most skilled person in the room, um, you know, maybe a, I'm just going to use this as an example because we're VTS ECC, you know, maybe you're working in ICU, having your VTS ECC working on you know, a bunch of um, vomiting, diarrhea, or say like milder cases while post post op uh, uh, ACL. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like a while a you know just say a credentialed VT uh, credentialed technician, but a non VTS is working on a vent case. Um, you know, right. using leveraging those skills and having appropriate cases assigned to appropriate staff members, and then one of the points it makes in here in, in this document is then having a formal process in place to evaluate the effect of of staffing decisions right. based on on patient outcomes and system outcomes and actually mm -hmm. evaluating your plan like are you having mismatched patients to technicians and that idea i think is something that is never even considered it's you well, know I, I i think that some of that i mean i, I may be wrong here but I, I think a lot of that goes right into the staffing like yeah oh for sure 100%. if you don't have time you don't to look have at that, that option yeah you don't have that option right so there's right. no time to like step back and say okay let's evaluate what we're doing let's right. let's get off the floor and look at stuff there's no right. time to get off the floor because right. everyone's swamped right and, and so, you you made the point while we were talking about this with harold that a lot of times it was it was um, I had said geographical, but a lot of times you, it was you and one other person, you just split the room, right? Start at one end and yep. you meet somewhere in the other. And if, the middle. if one of you get through eight patients and the other of you get through 12, whatever, you just meet wherever you stop. And then the next hour, the next treatment hour, yeah. you just start it again. And, Go right again, yeah. But, but you know, then you think about that, like how how effectively are you treating those patients? Are you just like checking Not. boxes and making sure that what's supposed to yeah. be done is done? and Damn, that's a that's not well. When, when you're that, when you're that, but the ratio is that the bad. Reality. You're yeah. just a box checker. That that's, that's what you're doing. That's unfortunate. Yeah, exactly. That's unfortunately what it becomes. Is that's and just I realize we're, we're guys. We're we're, we're, we're beating speaking, a dead horse here. <laughs> we're beating a dead horse, and we're speaking from an ECC standpoint, right? Um, where we work in like high level, right? Uh, emergency rooms. You know, you, you with you with Tufts. Um, not always the same with sure general practice, but I mean. General practices also know but that. But again, <laughs> I, I was going to say, like, I, I think it's still a transferable idea. It might not be yeah. inpatients. It might be other rooms and tech appointments and, you know, dentistries to do oh, yeah. or, or yeah. co-hats or, or what have you. So, like, I feel like you can take this idea or these ideas and translate them into whatever mm -hmm. kind of practice you are. And you will find some parallels. You just will. Well, I I think another part of it, and I, I see this in some of the G, the general practices that I work at, is that they staff to to get to effective, right? So they staff to get. They've got two doctors, uh, one tech per doctor in room, and one floater, right? So, but what happens when one of them calls out? Right. Then you're not staffed appropriately, and, and, and they they kind of staff to the bare to the bare minimum. Right. Right. Not realizing that. How, oh, let me let me ask you ask, let me ask you something. How many people does it take to work on any one animal at one time? Two. Two. So why is one of one them the two. doctor? Yeah. 
So like right. you you need two people per doctor and then a floater. Yeah. Like otherwise yeah. the floater's going to be tied up with one and somebody's going to be stuck in the mud. Like yeah. you, you and, and that's that's that efficiency, that's that effective decision making, that's the mm-hmm. that's all of these things. Like you, you can anyway. <laughs> well, and I, I worked one of the shifts I worked uh, I wouldn't say it was recent, but it was maybe a month or so ago. You know, we were short, and I'm the relief tech, so I'm, I'm coming in to help anyways. Um, but in the afternoon, we had one tech per doctor, and we had no floater, and six tech appointments to come in. What, when are those going to get taken care of? Right. And when are we going to get discharges from the surgeries out of, out of, out of the room? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just, it's just right. something that we need to staff. We need to overstaff because at some point we're going to lose staff. At right. some point we're going to have somebody that can't can't be there or i've also worked in places where they have a really hard time saying no to people that call in and say hey can i come in today right even though they're fully staffed right they'll say oh yeah we'll just fit you in not not actually looking back and saying and again that ties into collaboration decision making (laughs) leadership all the things yeah yeah um, I, I know we I, said we we're only going to talk for five seconds on appropriate staffing, right? <laughs> but again, like it, it, it's one of those things that really ties into so many different things. And I know we all know how short we are on staff and and all of those problems. So uh, again, I don't want to you know get into that too much. But um, it's it's there are some other facets to appropriate staffing that's not just how many people do you have at, at one time. It's actually the mm-hmm. evaluation of your processes. And is what you're doing working? Is it yeah. is it is it affecting patient care positively or negatively? And if it's a pro- right. affecting it negatively, you've really got to reevaluate that. Yeah. Well, and think <clears throat> about those times where you've got you're you're swamped, you're over overloaded. Your your attitude changes, your mood changes. Yeah, and, for sure. I mean, you're distracted. You're, you're distracted. You're upset. You're, you're all of these things. You're angry at you're maybe angry at the patient, even though yeah. the patient had and is, then, is at no fault. And then, damn it, you take that home with you at the end of the day, oh, and yeah. you you start off your day when you wake up the next morning, still carrying that and knowing you're going to be walking into that again today. Like yep. you, we are empaths. We take that with us. Like yeah. it, it's just it, it's an impossible cycle to break. Yeah. And the thing is, is that. It takes people and time to evaluate that and break the cycle, and unfortunately, that's just what we don't have right now. But we don't have it. Yeah. Like you, you have to, you have to make that a priority and make that time to fix the problem, or it's yeah. never, or you're just going to be stuck in this perpetual mm-hmm. terrible, this vicious cycle. Yeah, yeah. Um, All right. Meaningful what's next? Recommend- meaningful recognition is going to be next, and I think this is so this- one. Top to bottom, this, yeah. Anybody in is, the hospital. This is more more than needs pizza. more of, right? Even though right right now, um, with me being on the whole thirty, pizza sounds like a fantastic <laughs> idea. I would, I would love to be recognized with pizza right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, meaningful recognition, uh, praise, um, mm-hmm. and like like you said with with Molly, no like. Talk about the good things that happen. Don't don't right. beat them down in rounds because I mean, how does that how does that make anyone feel any better? This Doesn't is do this, this is one that I, I I tried especially my last little while at Tufts um, to really put back on not put back on that's not the right phrase to really do back to the doctors I was working with on a case celebrate your wins. If yeah. there is a tough case in the hospital and it gets discharged, celebrate that. Congratulate yeah. everybody and and technicians and assistants that are living or uh, not living that are uh, listening. <laughs> congratulate. Hopefully, your, they're all living. Right, right, absolutely. Congratulate your doctor on a job yeah. well done. It, it, the the meaningful recognition does not have to just come from the top down. Be a leader in your That's clinic true. and put it back up to the top. Um, because sometimes we all know this, like there are really, really difficult cases in your hospital and many times they don't leave when they do celebrate that victory. And I used to work with so many interns and and residents that were like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Shut up. Like (laughs) you did a good job on this case. Allow Mm -hmm. yourself to feel some gratitude, some like allow yourself to celebrate that. 
Because what happens when it goes bad? You beat yourself right. up. Then you beat so yourself why not, up. Why not right. pat yourself on the back when it goes right? Absolutely. And and that can be doctor patting technician on the back for, for mm-hmm. recognizing um, a patient was slipping down a slope. That yeah. can be a technician patting a doctor on, on the back and saying, man, like, I never saw this coming. How, how did you know this? Like, great job. Yeah. Like, celebrate those small victories because, frankly, this day and age, they are too few and far between. And yeah. if... If, if all you ever think is, well, that's what we're supposed to do, and then when, as you said, Dave, when things don't go well, as, as many times they don't, you're just beating yourself up, mm-hmm. when the hell are you ever happy in this profession? Right, exactly. <clears throat> and, and we have a few places that I work. I'm trying to think of, of what they do. Um, the, the place Robin works at, they have like a... I don't, I don't want to call it a thank you board, but like a kudos board mm-hmm, where there's mm-hmm. just like a, a, yeah. a stack of Post-it notes, and you put a nice message on yeah. for... Somebody helped me out with this. Thank you for doing that. Um, another practice I work at, we use uh, Slack, which is a communication uh, platform. And there's an entire section of just kudos where you go in and you say, good job, everybody, for, for what we did this this night around yeah. this patient. Um, I, I think that's, it's one of, again, another thing that is missing in this field. And if if we think about, I mean, we think about mental health all the time, but if you think about that, how are we going to stay in this field if, like right. you said, we're feeling crappy all the time? Right. Like, where, where are you drawing your positive reinforcement from? Yeah. Like, we don't see enough puppies and kittens to make up for all the the, exactly. the terribleness <laughs> that we do see. Right. So, like, what uh, – caffeinators, I'll ask you. Where are you drawing your positive reinforcement from? Yeah. Because if you're not getting it from the cases that, that go well or that you do a good job on – I don't know where else you're where does it come it. from I don't know yeah. where else you're going to get it in this field yeah other than like internally self congratulating yourself yeah yeah absolutely we need, like we need that from other people we, we need, need that from, from other, other people. people and and again keep in mind that doesn't necessarily have to come from the top down nope, you can be all. a leader and put it from the bottom to the top and say yeah. great job doc or yeah. hey um practice manager um I know, like we've been harping on you a lot lately, but I really appreciate that you, you know, made this change after you know we've been talking about it for a while. Yeah, it's really working well. Like, give them some positive reinforcement yeah. too. Yeah. Like everybody, everybody needs that. Everybody needs it. And I, I challenge you to find an area in your clinic where it's not being displayed because I'm sure right. there are areas where not only it can be yeah. displayed to you, you can display it to others. Yeah, and again. Ties into leadership, ties right. into uh, decision-making, collaboration, right. skill communication, all these things. Right, right. Which, um, you know, kind of a segue, the, the authentic leadership is, is the last one. Is the last one, yeah. And that's that's really hard, I think, in, in this field because I don't I don't have the numbers, so I don't, I don't want to speak out of turn. Right. But, but I would imagine that the majority of practice managers or practice leadership is either – a veterinarian mm-hmm. or somebody that is not veterinary related whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and I, I do realize that there are. Or the longest tenured person there. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what What is it called? CVPM? Certified yeah. Veterinary Practice Manager? Yeah. I mean, how many of those are there? There's right. not a whole lot of those. Um, and, and those are people that have, have actually, and I, I'm not trying to say that, other practice managers are not doing their best, but those are the people that kind of like us, they go above and beyond what they're expected to do to be the best at their job. Right. And I think that's just not there. And I, I, right. I think, I think we need more of that. And I think we need leadership that is going to listen instead of just lead. Right. Um, a lot, a lot of times, I mean, people <laughs> on one of my reviews uh, where I was a supervisor and I stepped down from being a supervisor because I don't want to manage people. I want to manage cases, but that's a whole other story. Um, but I kind of took a step down from that leadership role. And one of the comments on one of my reviews uh, said that you may not be in that leadership role anymore, but you are a VTS. If you want to or not, you are a leader and you have to you have mm-hmm. to take that on because people are going to look to you and say, sure, you know what you're doing. I'm oh, gonna perhaps. I'm gonna try to emulate you. Yeah. Uh, whereas that that kind of even goes not just to VC, VTSs, but it goes to the most senior senior right. tech, right. the most senior doctor. Right. Um, and and just thinking about 
what you're how you're behaving and how you're acting in your clinics yeah because people are going to see that and either they're, they're, whether or not you want to be judged, you're going to be judged based right. on what you do. Right. And Well, and to your point, you know, you talk about, fine, having that leadership role. Absolutely. Like that's, I, I think for me, I'm the same way, Dave. Like people have been asking me, we've got a couple of positions open at my current job and, you know, some, some training or some management positions. And they're like, why don't you, you know, apply for those? I think you'd be great. I know myself. I am a poor manager of people. Right. I don't want to be a manager of people. No. I like talking to clients on the phone and talking them off of a ledge and, and telling them their pet is going to be fine and what to watch for at home. I like what I'm doing currently. And being a leader does not have to be, okay, you're the most senior person here. You're our leader. Now you also have to do inventory, do yeah. the hiring and firing, and do all of these things. No, no, no. You can be a leader in whatever role you are in. Yeah. And just by the way you you your attitude and the way you go about your work, you can sure you might not have a supervisor position, but you can do training, you can be encouraging, mm-hmm. you can do all of these things without having a supervisor or a manager title and still yeah. be a leader. And all of these things that we've talked about, this is the sixth and final kind of category, if you will, here, all of these other five come back to effective leadership. And yeah. And that is, like you were saying earlier, that's something that is, or authentic leadership, excuse me, something that is highly lacking in our clinic because so many times, and I, I think back to my GP days, and this is something we talked to, I think, David Liss and Ed Carlson about, mm-hmm. is that it ultimately ends up being the most senior person on staff who has yep. all, who just by default gets all of these management roles, whether they want them or not. Right. And as technicians, we don't have we don't have a career ladder where we can continue to advance and yeah. make more money. So taking on those responsibilities, we're looking at it as, Hey, it's an extra few dollars an hour. I can do that. Like that's, that's fine. It'll be worth it. But they're, they're <laughs> given no not. tools to succeed. <laughs> they're not giving any management training yeah. classes. They're right. not given any, any parameters. They're just like, here, take this over and do this. And how long does that last? Like, I, how, I think what, and when you're, when you're talking about that, the training that they get is how to do the tasks, right. but not necessarily how to lead. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we made it through all six. Yes. Yes. So, again, um, we will post the link here, but I highly encourage anybody that mm-hmm. is listening to this episode, um, if you, again, we'll put the link, but if you Google American Association of Critical Care Nurses or AACN and just then kind of put next to that, um, healthy work environments. Um, you will get to to the main page here, and it, these are the what we've been talking about are the six standards of healthy work environments um, that have been you know put in place and adapted in in the human medicine world. Yeah. But I challenge you to find it, any of these that cannot be applied to right. your current work situation. And absolutely, we need to be doing more of that. And I, I really want to thank Harold for bringing that to my attention because yeah. yeah. I had no idea. I I didn't either because I mean it's a it's a human nursing thing. We don't really look up human right. nursing things. Right. Right. And then I won't go in too much into it, but then if you look at this a little bit deeper, there is some some data here on about how when you improve all six of these things, uh patient yeah. satis- or you know patient outcomes are improved, worker satisfaction is improved, all of those things and ultimately a healthy environment. A healthy environment. Yeah. Someday, someday 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 so anyway caffeinators check it out um see how you can apply it to your practice and if you do let us know we'd love to hear yeah we'll we'll make some social media posts and, yeah. and kind of post some questions to everybody yeah see if we get some responses absolutely so um so the other thing i think dave we wanted to talk about this week um our uh, our recent guest Becky Mosser, um, yeah. who caffeinators you may remember, we talked to her extensively about the veterinary industry giving tree, which it's that time of year. Um, so if you haven't already, definitely check that out. But um, you may remember as well, she co-hosts a podcast of her own called the Veterinary Viewfinder with Dr. Ernie Ward, and it's been a weekly podcast. How long did we say? Like five years? Like five years? Something like something that. Something like yeah. that. A, a, a long while, and they yeah. they just talk about. A whole bunch of different things all across they, veterinary medicine. They usually talk about like wh- whatever's current. Like right, what's the, yeah. What's the current topic? Absolutely. And so they put out one of their most re- – I don't think it's their most recent now. I think another I think one is, is coming, coming oh, has coming since. Well, by, yeah. by the by time now. this uploads. Yeah. Oh, yeah, by the yeah. time this uploads for sure. 
Um, but they they put out an episode talking about a lot of the discussion about the the mid level practitioner position and specifically uh, what is it the master's degree in veterinary clinical care? Do I have that clinical, right? I think it's clinical care. Yeah. Um, and and a lot of our friends and colleagues and, and people we've had as guests on the show, um, you know, have shared some of the the ideas and thoughts. So you might have seen some discussion about this online, and we kind of wanted to jump in the fray too because it's something we've talked about with a few different people. And actually, we talked a little bit about it with Harold as well. We did, yeah. Um, and, and they made some really great points. Uh, yeah, it, it, Becky had had some really good good thoughts on this of and the thing that stuck out with me is that how are we going to have another level of a of a veterinary staff when we're still like like how are we valuing education when we're still hiring people off the street like still hiring people i think ernie, ernie called it uh, <laughs> uh someone that was working at the gap yesterday right. like how right. how are we going to have advanced degrees when we're still taking people off the street right. which to me is just that that's a that's a perfect example of why this isn't going to work now. I right. feel like it can work, right. but right now it cannot. Right, and and uh, Becky used the analogy: um, we're trying to put a roof on a house that doesn't have a foundation, right? Um, exactly, or, or something along those lines. And I think and, that's yeah. what it was. And and we've talked about. I mean, sure, it's a great goal to have, but there is so much groundwork that has to be laid, improved. So much infrastructure that has to be improved. There is so much that has to be figured out before and we fixed. even and fixed yeah. before we even you know consider doing that. And um, I, again, caffeinators, I highly recommend you you listen to this episode to to get some um, background and some context here. Again, it's it's uh, I just pulled it up here. So. The Veterinary Viewfinder podcast is available on all major channels, but the, the specific episode is from uh, this past Wednesday, Master's Degree in Veterinary Clinical Care, uh, Pioneering Pathway, or Misguided MS. Um, and so basically the idea here is is that you, know, you go to school, you go into this program, you get a master's degree in this kind of, frankly, fabricated um, yeah. topic uh, or, or discipline, I guess it is, um, of veterinary clinical care, which define that okay um but how do we utilize that how do we how do we recognize like we have nothing established in any practice act in any state in the united states that is prepared to address and handle some kind of veterinary technician with a master's degree and what that means for their clinical practice so like and you know to some degree sometimes i wonder do we have to have the degree in place for then to make action in the practice act or do we have to put action in the practice act first and then develop the programs in response to that and i don't know what the right answer is on that honestly i mean just you know my my knee jerk reaction says that without the practice without the practice acts being corrected no one's going to it there there's no there's no reason for it. Right, exactly. Really. And I completely agree. So then I go back to, okay, um, you know, in the, the V&I is a whole separate discussion, so I won't get into that. But part of that is opening up the Practice Acts, right, and getting into this Model Practice Act. And you have to do that in all 50 states. So if, and it's a, it is a massive if, I need like big white letters behind me yeah. that are blinking <laughs> and saying if, if we ever get to the point where states are going to open up their Practice Act, then whenever that happens, we're probably going to get one shot at that, like I've said before. Then that's when we have to have this kind of goal or ideal in place and say, we want this added because this is the direction we want to go. Not that there should already be programs in place that are graduating students and and handing out this piece of paper that frankly currently means nothing. (laughs) Um, But if and when that does ever happen, if that's the goal, then we need to be prepared for that. And we can't get caught with yeah. our pants down and saying, well, we opened up the practice act, but we weren't ready for this. And now it's going to be another 20 years before we ever get to do that again. Well, I, I think this is like the one, the one example where, you know, the, the old adage of it's, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. I think mm-hmm. this is the opposite without, without permission, we're never going to get any, any of this. Yeah. Done. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, and she made some other great points as well. And, and one of the things um, you know that you and I talked a little bit about last night, and, and 
and it has been actually a lot of discussion online, and we've, <laughs> we've discussed it with our uh, some of our guests as well. Is yeah. that you know this this idea of a mid level practitioner, the there's already something that exists that could fulfill that role, and that's the VTS. And yeah. Becky made the point, um, you know, whereas as a non VTS, she knows a little about a lot of things, and as a VTS, you know a lot about a few things. Um, and I think which that I ha- the, which I have issue with, but which you, which I, yeah, <laughs> and I, I understand where you're coming from. And I, I think that, and then she kind of reconciled that a little bit a minute or two later when she said, you know, I, I, as a VTS emergency and critical care, I'm not going to be expected to go into a general practice and right. be, uh, a, 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 I'm going to use the phrase nurse practitioner. I realize that's not right, but just for simplicity's sake mm-hmm. and go be this nurse practitioner role. I might be able to do that in an ER, and as right. she uses the example, you know, if a doctor's in surgery, maybe I can take some basic cases, prescribe some antibiotics or some basic medications, different things. Um, but I, so, so your, whatever your VTS discipline is, that's where you would be expected to fulfill yeah. that role, not just across veterinary medicine at large. Right. And, and, and so, yeah, I think it's a fantastic idea. Again, though, there is just so much infrastructure to to get fixed before we get to that point. However, I do think we also need to like as a strategic plan, I do believe we have to have something like that in our mind almost as a dangled carrot to help mm-hmm. drive some of this we need to get this fixed and this is why because this is what we want to do. Right. And again, but we can't be implementing this now and throwing 10 other wrenches in where yeah. we're already screwed up. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I said this with, when we were talking with Harold is that right now the, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of similarities with this type of thing that's being proposed that he saw when they were mm-hmm. proposing the VTS. Yes. Uh, like the backlash of why do we need this? What's the mm-hmm. point of this? Um, right. I, th- I think maybe the arguments are slightly different now because sure. we do have VTSs and there are, you know, logistical things. But back then, it, it, it's kind of the similar thing where they're like, well, who needs that? Like, yeah. why do we have to do that? Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, if we want if we want to move forward, if we want to, uh, like you said, give technicians a ladder to go up. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than going from assistant or kennel to assistant to tech to practice manager and then you're right. done. Right. What uh, else is there? What else is there, right? Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting because, you know, here we're, we're talking about not putting the cart before the horse. But yet, you know, you think about the, the entire VTSs. Um, NAVTA is the, the governing body of all of these academies. And, and it's wonderful that all of these exist. But again, none of them. None of them exist in any of the fifty states practice acts. Right, like we not, don't not a like, one. like we have a skills list and we have all of this stuff that we have to to learn and do and master and an exam we have to pass and what have you. But walking into this neurology clinic or that oncology clinic or this ER, there is nothing in statute about what a VTS can do that a credential technician can't do so here we are i think 25 years later since what is now avect informed we still don't have that regulation so we're kind of behind the eight ball in that and i fear that with this with this kind of thing if we start rolling out these programs to hand out this master's degree we're still going to be 25 30 years in the future from now and still not have Mm -hmm. it in the practice and still still be meaningless They've been trying to open them for the VNI for for twenty plus years. So right, right, and so you know the more that we kind of get behind the eight ball, then the more in terms of of going in and getting all of this addressed, the more daunting of a task that becomes, and the less likely it is that we're actually going to be able to yeah. do that. And so again, I, I I think it's a I frankly I think it's a fantastic idea, and I would love fifty years from now for that to be an actual position with actual regulation and utilization and the whole thing. We're just not there. We're not there. Yeah. We're not there. I mean, and, it, like, like you said, it's a great idea to have, but mm-hmm. there's so many more things we have to fix before so, we get to this. There, there are so many layers and levels across all 50 states. 
Um, and, and she mentions, you know, things we've talked about, title protection, reciprocity, yeah. utilization, yeah. all of these things that we've talked to the umpteenth degree about. Mm-hmm. We can't get on board with something like this and, and figure, like, how, how are we going to utilize this person? How are we going to pay them? How are we going to this, right. that, or the other? How are we going to regulate them? We can't, we can't be doing this with a brand new position when all of the other positions in the hospital don't even have that figured out yet. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's so. it's like a um, what is it? Uh, Jim Gaffigan tells a joke of of like what what is it like having twins? Uh, it's like imagine you're in a pool and you're drowning and you're holding a baby and then someone gives you another baby. It, it's, the, <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> like we're trying we're trying to keep the profession afloat and then right. someone's saying, oh here's here's a whole here, other here, thing. Here, have a baby. <laughs> have a baby. <laughs> oh. Well, buddy, I mean, this has been a, this is as long as our normal episodes, yeah, and this, this I, I know the tap rooms are usually, usually short, but yeah, this is a this is a longer tap room. But we had some really interesting stuff, I think. To talk I, about I think it's today, been a so. conversation, yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, you know, caffeinators, when you when you hear this episode, um, you know, post on it. Let us know your thoughts on yeah. the the um, healthy workplace environment initiative um, on the um, the advanced credential or the mid-level practitioner discussion we'll have some posts about it let us know your thoughts um your concerns your or if you're super for it let us know why yeah, yeah. um and uh, we'd love to to continue to to put that discussion out there and we'll, so. we'll post some questions on on mm-hmm. our social media to kind of generate some discussion yeah absolutely absolutely all right, guys. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for coming by the Vet Tech Tap Room. Hopefully, you guys had a good beer like I did. Um, <laughs> and uh, cheers to you, caffeinators. Dave, um, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. In a week. Happy and, holidays. Uh, happy holidays. Happy New Year. And we will see all you guys soon. Bye, guys. Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media, they can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com.